0: Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. I have not made that formal decision, but it's my intention. My intention to run again. And we have time to make that decision.
1: Uh, Dr. Biden is for it. Mr.
2: President. Oh,
0: Dr. Biden thinks that, uh, my wife thinks that, uh, that I, uh, that, that we're, that we're, Doing something very important. This
3: has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls.
2: Stu does America. What is going on with that guy? (laughs) BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Use the promo code Stu to save 10 bucks on your subscription to Blaze TV. If you're watching YouTube, click like right now. Follow the show. We really do appreciate it when you do so. Ben Weingarten is here to tell us about politicized capitalism. The collapse of Biden's unconstitutional student loan forgiveness begins, but we start by doing the school lockdown. Impacts So much news on this today. I want to get right to it. Let's start with Jake Tapper. CNN's Jake Tapper hit for wondering why there wasn't a national conversation on school closures. Let's watch the clip. I have to say I'm surprised that there hasn't been a national conversation about the damage done to kids because of these school closures and the virtual learning and everything because I mean, I'm not saying there should be a national do over, but we can't just pretend that fifth graders who are now seventh graders that that didn't happen. You know, like I feel like there should be and not not with a blame game. Look, it happened. People did it. It was criticized. The school closures, the virtual learning, et cetera. But here we are. Um, There needs to be like a like a bipartisan movement, you know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I definitely know. Now, look, everyone's hammering uh, Jake Tapper on this and uh, I I understand why. I will say I'm glad somebody in the mainstream media is actually bringing this point up. Uh, I don't know necessarily that I mean, there was a conversation on this. It just the people who said that they should open were silenced and kicked off social media and their lives are over digitally. That's how that conversation went. So there should be a conversation about that and also the, how we kicked everybody off of social media for suggesting such things. Um, Bethany Mandel had a uh, kind of a good point here, as she pointed out, if only CNN had a contributor on salary who could have done nothing but come on the air to explain it. Talking, of course, of uh, Mary Catherine Hamm, who was on CNN at the time and then was fired. She wrote about it. In the age of quiet quitting, I was quiet suspended and I can't shut up about it. If you don't know this story, it is a really important one. She was one of the conservative voices on CNN that you'd see from time to time. And all of a sudden, she was one of those conservative voices you didn't see on CNN from time to time. And you thought, what happened to her? She was really good. Why? Why isn't she on more? Well, here we go. Uh, She says, I know very well that I'm in the ideological minority in many of the places I speak. And certainly in the Zucker era at CNN, that made me dispensable. But being the weirdo is why why I went to those places, whether it's CNN, major universities or my own hometown. I enjoy it and it benefits my brain. I believe it's healthy to be the one in the room who disagrees, even if they don't want to hear about how everyone was wrong about Russiagate or school closings. Now, I remind you, this was written before Tapper uh, said any of this stuff. She wasn't responding to that. She was responding to being s- suspended and eventually uh, having all sorts of problems at CNN. Why? Well, she just found out. It came to my attention in July that I had been punished under old CNN leadership, kept off air since January, for tweeting about Jeffrey Tubin in a Twitter dust-up with Andrew Kaczynski, another a CNN employee regarding our network's coverage of the 2017 congressional baseball shooting. So she made a comment, made a joke or a comment about Jeffrey Tubin in a Twitter thread, and was suspended off the air because she did that to Jeffrey Tubin. When Jeffrey Tubin barely, I mean he got his job back after doing what Jeffrey Tubin did, which was much worse than tweeting about what Jeffrey Tubin did, we should be clear about that. Kind of a problem. Anyway, we now seem to have come to this conclusion and we're going to all act, I guess, as if we agreed this whole time that there are real problems with what happened, particularly with schools as we went through the COVID-19 period. Uh, new story from The New York Times today, which really pisses me off. It says math scores fell in nearly every state and reading dipped on national exam. The results from what is known as the nation's report card offer the most definitive picture yet of the pandemic's devastating impact on students. Where was this attitude when we could have made a difference when everybody on the conservative side was saying, guys, I think we should get kids back into school. And everybody on the left was saying, I'm sorry, teachers unions. What do, what do we need to say now? OK, thank you very much. Do not send kids back to school. That was kind of a shtick. If everybody remembers this, the left is trying to memory hole all of this. And I read through this entire article from CNN. It seems like now this again, this is a, speaking as a person who's been in the media for far too long and is somewhat to very jaded you know somewhere in that vicinity is where i live and i've seen these stories break too many times the new york times was the one that kind of broke the story with this research they seem to be the one with it out there first today And man, does it read as if that's exactly how this was planned, as if the administration went to The New York Times and said, we're going to release this report. We really want to get a fair shake when we do it because we know what everyone's going to say. So we'll give it to you if you promise us this fair shake. This is how the sausage is made often. Very rarely do people do the thing that they do in all the movies when they're hunting down a source. They're meeting them in the garage, uh, you know, the parking garage, and they're they're whispering behind closed doors and you can't see the guy's face because he's still in the shadows. You know, that whole thing. Yeah, that almost never happens. It's almost always someone who's interested in getting a particular spin on the story who presents it to the reporter for them to report. That's how these things occur almost all the time. And man, after reading this, I just can't help but believe that's exactly what happened here. The New York Times writes, Comparing states is tricky, and people will likely go to red state, blue state, which is not the most helpful framing, said Sean Reardon, a professor of education at Stanford University who is conducting a deeper analysis to try to come up with more definitive answers. That quote, of course... In the breaking news story about the study that supposedly just came out, well, I'm glad they got him that so they, they, very quickly. They got a bunch of quotes from all sorts of different experts around the, around the uh, across the spectrum on that one. Uh, they also write uh, as part of their analysis, it's in California, which stood out for its caution in reopening schools. Scores declined slightly less than national averages in several categories, about in line with Florida, which was the leader in opening schools sooner. Now this. This idea that school lockdowns don't really matter, they just gave you a helpful example, California and Florida, you know, they were different in their policies, ended up pretty much the same. So what's the big deal here? Probably nothing, right? That's exactly what you're supposed to take from this article, that it's got nothing to do with red states and blue states. We should all just reunite and say, ah, you know, we've got to be better for the kids whenever we can. Well, this sort of disagrees with all the previous analysis I've seen on this topic. Let me give you some of the examples of it just from the last uh, couple of days and weeks. uh, Professor Emily Oster, who is not a conservative by any means, read the data as well and said, math, more in-person, if you're in-person school, less loss, less knowledge loss. It's consistent with the results from within-state analysis of state-level data. Interesting outliers are California and Hawaii. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't that California's... The state that they mentioned, it's an outlier. Hmm, Here's the chart, by the way. You can see California and Hawaii up in the upper left-hand corner showing they're a little bit of an outlier. But that slightly sloping increase from left to right shows that states with uh, looser sort of lockdown policies, people with more access to in-person learning did better on average overall. As you can see, there's a couple outliers on either side, but generally speaking, that held true throughout the country. Corey DeAngelis also looked at some of this data as well and found this is a new data, changes in fourth grade math scores since 2019, and compared public and private schools, and you know they handled this differently. Public was down five points. Catholic schools did not decline. Uh, last year, in-person classes moved to distance learning. This is for grade four mathematics. If you uh, if your classes went to none of uh, no in, uh, in distance learning, if you had no distance learning, you had 242 points. If all or most of your classes were distance learning, you had 231. An 11 point difference. Uh, in eighth grade mathematics, a nine point difference for the same measures. If you went to school, if you were in person, you did better over and over and over again. And I think it's easy to kind of stop and look back and say, well, this is difficult, right? This was a tough time. I admit this. I, you know, I've said this many times and sometimes conservatives don't, they, they think I'm being too nice on this point, but there is some level of grace that can be afforded to people trying to manage their way through a novel virus like this. Like, we didn't know all the details at the beginning. We didn't know how everything would work, how everything would break. What exactly should be done? Now, obviously, if you watch the show, you know it was very critical of the things that were being done uh, at the time. But it's important to know that it wasn't some political thing. It wasn't just people on the blaze saying, oh, what are you doing? You can't. Uh, You can't open schools. You you can't uh, close uh, schools. That would be terrible for kids. And it's not going to help very much, if at all. It wasn't just us doing that. It was uh, many others as well. I want to give you this is one of the first interviews and this always sticks with me. It, It always pops into my head when I'm reading COVID stuff. One of the first interviews I ever really heard in long form about covid-19 this is back from march 2020 and it was joe rogan and he's just like hey what the hell's going on this guy seems a little weird let me talk to uh this this guy who wrote this disease book right Does, uh, he's an infectious disease expert let's talk to him his name was dr michael osterholm now you might remember that name because he later on did, he didn't turn into a uh you know a guy who was pitching ivermectin to joe rogan no no he became one of Joe Biden's covid advisors. OK, that's how mainstream this guy is. I want to give you a, a, a little bit of an extended clip from this interview because it's important that you understand this isn't us in retrospect. This is Dr. Michael Osterholm at the time talking about school closings.
3: As far as what can public health do? We're not going we can talk about this. We're not going to have a vaccine anytime soon. That's happy talk. Um, what we, you know, we can close schools. One of the big challenges we have right now, if we close schools, what do we accomplish? In influenza virus, when you, we close schools during outbreaks, because it turns out kids are, get infected in school and they're like little virus reactors. You know, they come home and they transmit it to mom and dad and brothers and sisters. And uh, so we close schools. sometimes. Christmas breaks are always great for kind of putting the dampening effect on flu. In this case, kids are not getting sick Very often at all, which is one of the really good news features of this disease. In China, only 2.1% of the cases are under 18, 19 years of age. Why is that? You know, we don't completely know. Uh, And and I'm going to come to that in a second because they're getting infected, it turns out. One study showed that they still get infected with the virus, but they don't get sick. And we have that happen. There's a disease called infectious hepatitis, hepatitis A, where we have outbreaks in daycares. And the way we know we have an outbreak is because it's transmitted through the stool, fecal, oral. is mom and dad and the daycare providers all get sick. And the kids, those symptoms, we go in and test the kids, they're all positive. So some diseases will manifest primarily when you're an adult but not as a child. This one appears to be the same. So do we close schools or not if we're not really spreading the disease? Because it turns out that if we close schools, we, uh, a recent study done showed that 38% of nurses today in this country who are working in the medical care area have kids in school. And if suddenly we're closing schools for two or three months, who's going to take care of those kids? One-fourth of the American population has no sick leave. If we close schools, they don't get paid if they have to stay home. So when you ask what can we do, we have to really be thoughtful about what we do. Are we doing more harm than good by closing schools, for example, even though everybody will say, oh, we've got to do everything we can? Or do we just tell people, you know, it's going to be limiting your contact as much as you can. And that's really about what we can do.
2: That all seems really common sense right now. And you know what? Inside the mainstream community, this was very obvious to many people who are experts on this. This is not some right wing nut job who's out there. This is one of Biden's COVID advisors long before Biden was president saying, hey, Schools being closed is not at all obvious. In fact, it might wind up making things a lot worse. And now, of course, we know that it did. We knew this stuff back then, but people were so panicked. And they said, just as Dr. Osterholm was talking about, hey, you know, we all got to do everything that we can. We got to do everything we can. Well, sometimes doing everything that we can makes things a lot worse. And now we're seeing that play out. Let's go back to the study here for a second. Remember that quote about California from the New York Times, Now, California and Florida were basically the same. So we can't draw any conclusions. That's not a red state, blue state thing. The way the Times covered this made me immediately suspicious. There was all these disclaimers about red and blue states. They gave us no way to easily see which states did better in relation to their pre-pandemic records. And the New York Times has all these nice, beautiful graphics that they put in all the time. They couldn't do that for this report. Why? Well, I decided to actually look at the data and no surprise, we see a blatant case of cherry picking uh, that goes on throughout the article. Let me, let me show you this. OK, this is uh, and, and let's go back to figuring out how do we measure this? Because it's not like red state, blue state. Exactly. Right. The best way we can do is try to figure out who let kids back in school earlier who locked down more. How do we know which states lifted their lockdowns most aggressively? Luckily, we can look at the average in-person learning index from Burbio. This is, they kept meticulous track of this all as it was happening. They measured it state by state by state. Now, California was indeed the state where we saw the tightest school lockdowns, and it wound up right near the, uh, Florida on the test scores. So that much from The New York Times is pretty much true. However, California student index uh, excuse excuse me, California's student test scores were only in the middle of the pack overall and it didn't perform actually well. You can dump this graphic. There's nowhere to see there. Uh, And yes, it, it was wound up near Florida because while Florida was third in the nation as far as keeping kids in school, it was the worst performing freedom leaning state when it comes to test scores. So when you look at the whole picture Instead of, uh, you know, sort of picking the best case scenario for your lockdown friendly readers, you see a clear trend. I went through all of this today. If you look at the worst performing states as far as test scores, half of them are within the list of the top 10 most lockdown states, half of them, and none of them are among the 10 most pro freedom states. It's kind of a big deal, right? Let me give you the list of the worst knowledge loss. This is by state here. The 10th biggest knowledge loss was Oklahoma, and they were the 19th on the most pro-freedom state. And I got news for you. If you're on on the left, you might want to tune out now because it gets a lot worse for you. The ninth biggest knowledge loss was in Maine, 31st on the most pro-freedom list. The eighth biggest loss was in Oregon, 39th on the freedom state list seventh biggest learning loss, Minnesota, 37th on the most pro-freedom state. The sixth biggest learning loss, New York, 33rd on the most pro-freedom list. Fifth biggest loss, New Mexico, 45th on the most pro-freedom state list. The fourth biggest loss, Maryland, which was 48th on the most pro-freedom list. How about the third biggest learning loss for kids, Virginia? They were 44th on the most pro-freedom state list. The second biggest loss, technically not a state, but it is included in this analysis, Washington, D.C., was the 51st dead last on the pro-freedom list. It actually finished below the 50 states. Congratulations to Washington, D.C., but I want to save a special congratulations to number one. The absolute worst-performing state for test scores finished 38th on the student freedom list, the worst test score of all the states, yes, you guessed it, Joe Biden's home state of Delaware. I kid you not, Joe Biden finished last yet again. But look at this list, 38th, 39th, 44th, 45th, 48th, and 51st on a list of 50 states. (laughs) To make this point more clearly, of the worst performing states for knowledge loss, the average rank on the freedom list was 40th. That compares to the best performing states for knowledge loss. Their average rank was 18th on the freedom list. 18th compared to 40th. And you're telling me we can't draw any conclusions from this whatsoever. It's a mystery. This isn't red states versus blue states. Look, the truth is that basically every state pulled their kids out of school from about March to summer 2020. This resulted in educational loss for pretty much everybody. But it was largely the red states that prioritized education enough to get them back in school as quickly as possible. And that led to a much lower level of damage. Not to mention, life in these states was clearly just better. I live in one of them. People were allowed to eat and congregate and make their own decisions about their own lives. We're about two weeks away from Election Day. When you're casting your vote for governor in whatever state you're in, remember what the past two years were like. Remember living life like a human being in a red state or being forced to cower behind closed doors in a blue one. That is if you didn't abandon that blue state to move to a red one yourself like so many did. Your governor will likely never make a more important decision than how they treated your freedom during that pandemic. Remember this and keep it at the top of your mind when you cast your vote.
1: Does
2: if you happen to be a carnivore, my guess is you know, you at least like to know where your meat comes from. When you order it through Moink, that is the, of course, the knowledge that you get right off the bat. You don't even have to know because Moink is telling you straight up it is a, from a small family farm uh, from somewhere in the country. Uh, and when I say the country, I mean like this country, not like from some place you've never heard of. Uh, this means that you can help save family farms and get access to the highest quality meat on Earth when you join the Moink movement today. Now, you know, I, I'm the, I am the grill guy at my home. I don't eat meat, but I do uh, grill it up for the family all the time. And I will tell you, the reaction from, like, the store-bought stuff and the Moink box stuff, it's, it's big and different. And I keep saying it, it's me. Like, I let, the, I let my wife cook the, the crappy stuff, I cook the good stuff so that my kids think I'm good at it. And it's just, a, it's just a strategy. You could try that out yourself. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did, and as a result, their meat tastes like it should because it's a family farm and they do it better. Look, I, as you know, I don't, I don't eat meat myself, but the Moink difference is clear to everybody in my family, and you're helping family farms stay independent as well. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com/stew right now. Listeners to this show get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's one year of the best filet you'll ever taste, but it's for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com/stew. Moinkbox.com/stew. Check it out. Oh, it was great to have Ben Weingarten on the program. He is a senior contributor for The Federalist, a Claremont Institute fellow and the deputy editor for Real Clear Investigations, whose newest project is up now, Invisible Hand or Iron Fist, Real Clear Investigations Guide to Politicize Capitalism. Post a link to it uh, as soon as we can here on the Twitters. Ben, how's it going?
1: It's going well, Stu. How about you?
2: Uh, really well. Um, I like that you're putting this all together in one place. This is a... Uh, it's it's sort of a big problem to get your hands around politicized capitalism. Can you kind of give us start with a definition?
1: Yeah, well, I think the 30,000 foot context for this project is you know, businesses have always been involved in politics to one extent or another, usually lobbying for regulations or candidates who are going to help support their top and bottom lines. With their policies. But what we've seen, particularly in recent years, at sort of an alarming rate, is that businesses have injected themselves into a whole slew of causes that, at least on their face, have almost nothing to do with their top and bottom lines. And so, what we wanted to do at Real Clear Investigations was to capture this cohort of corporations that are engaged, generally speaking, in progressive causes, oftentimes totally on board from their businesses, and then look at who are the corporations that are actually neutral, if not even anti-woke, which really just comes down to being like traditional (laughs) freedom-loving, patriotic kind of companies. And then also look at this burgeoning backlash that we've seen, especially at the state levels against what, what has been termed woke capital and this push towards ESG, environmental, social, and governance values and principles among businesses. And you know, to, to put a finer point on it, businesses themselves, the CEOs of the largest companies in this country going back to 2019 via the Business Roundtable and organization of these CEOs redefined the purpose of a corporation. They said that corporations are no longer in the business of just maximizing value for their shareholders, for their owners but for their stakeholders, which means society as a whole. And that means that businesses have a whole lot of obligations beyond making the best widget at the lowest price and serving their customers. And we see this politicization of capitalism tracking with this new redefinition of a corporation uh, in ways that amount to an end run around electoral politics, where you have companies Doing the bidding, in effect, of political actors. So, Ben, what do you?
2: What's the cause of this? Is this that there is an ideological sort of bent of the people running these companies? Is it the are the, these companies just you know ceding power to activists who are pressuring them? Is it is it a mix? What do you think is the cause?
1: Yeah, so I think the simple answer is that this is kind of an all of the above. We could go really deep into the psychology of, are people who are CEOs and really successful more likely to think they have all the answers for society and that they ought to arrange society because they know best? Certainly you can make that argument. I'm sure that that tracks well with a lot of progressive big thinkers, Uh, but you have pressures from many different directions here. So when you have companies that are lobbying obviously for regulations that are ultimately gonna benefit them, like say a Mike Bloomberg, for example, who we feature in this. Bloomberg's data processing, data hardware, which is kind of the gold standard in the financial services market, they've built up all of these analytics around green metrics on companies. Bloomberg himself leads a bunch of governmental and non-governmental groups who are dedicated to putting forth regulations that require companies to report all these sorts of green metrics. Who is most likely going to benefit in the marketplace when these companies have to report per SEC rules and regulations? Obviously Bloomberg, because they're going to be the premier purveyor of this data. They'll provide research services around it. So for them and places like major financial financial institutions who have these ESG focused funds, and it's sort of a gimmick that allows them to sell these funds at a markup relative to other ones, obviously they have a financial incentive here. But for other companies, I think you have some who are sort of reacting to the woke mob and essentially they think they can pay for protection by getting behind these causes. And so the woke mob won't come for them. Whether or not that holds, we'll have to see over over time. But then you have people, you have CEOs who are true believers and others who have to be responsive to employees coming out of schools that are indoctrinated in far more woke doctrine than would have existed a generation ago. You have these major financial services companies as we highlight led by the big three asset managers, BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard, and they can vote on shareholder resolutions to push for board members who hold the views that they hold. And those big three asset managers who collectively own about 20% on average of essentially every major Fortune 500 company They're controlled by CEOs who generally go along with this environmental, social, and governance agenda. So they have huge sway over these companies. They can push board members on companies. They can have direct interactions with management and not so subtly push them to take positions that they like. They can threaten to divest from a sector in total. So for example, oil, natural gas companies, they can say, we wanna be out of this business. They're disfavored on the financial marketplace becomes harder for them to raise money, to be covered in research. And so that really ultimately does hurt their top and bottom line. So massive financial corporations in particular have huge sway over the full slew of companies across industries. And given that they're controlled at the top by people who believe in this agenda, that obviously trickles down to companies across a whole range of sectors. So there are all of those influencers. And then of course, there's the federal government itself BlackRock in particular, many of its former professionals serve in the Biden administration. Mm. The Biden administration is pushing a green agenda through all these different agencies, and companies bend to the will of the agencies that oversee and regulate them. So it's many pressures. It really is fascinating.
2: And I think, you know, I look at this problem, and it's so large in scale. And, you know, I look at this, and I think to myself, I don't know if this is the right way. Tell me, Ben, if I'm thinking about this correctly. But, like, I don't have a problem with... A truly woke company, a, a, a left wing company that I don't have a problem with that existing. Like, I don't have a problem with Ben and Jerry saying, look, we just don't like uh, we, we were very environmentalists and we seem to be kind of anti-Semitic. I do have a problem with that one. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, they are obviously a left wing company. Patagonia, right. Very environmentally. That's the focus of all their marketing. And that's the, the spirit of their company. And while I might choose to not ha- have that ice cream or buy those clothes because I don't agree with the ideology, that's okay. I think that's all totally fine. The problem seems to be what you're talking about here, hitting on this bigger uh, financial uh, aspect where these, these companies that are not ideological, they're not a left wing or a right wing company. They get they get swooped up because of the financial pressures on their stock price and, uh, and and on their ratings. And they wind up basically just doing this because they feel like they have to. These are companies that don't necessarily want to take left wing positions per se, but they just suck it up for the good of the shareholder. And if we don't cure that at, at its root, it's going to take over everything.
1: Yeah, they're intimidated into it and then, and this is sort of an analog to what you see in big tech where of course the big tech companies themselves like the Twitters and Facebooks of the world are generally gonna be run by left-wing executives who take a left-wing position on matters of speech, although they didn't always take that position. Hmm. But then you have government officials who say, you really need to curb this kind of speech and content on your platforms you know, with a wink and a nod But of course, they have the power of the federal government behind them pushing that. And so you have this sort of collusion, essentially, between the federal government and then those businesses. And I think you see an analog here, because when you're talking about financial services companies, for example, these are some of the most hyper-regulated companies that there are on the planet. And so when they push a political agenda, it's not as if the government isn't also pulling them at the same time. And that's where you get into the issue of you know, okay, let's say you want to be a woke company. Well, what kind of government benefits are you potentially getting? Subsidies, tax breaks, to what extent are the regulators pushing you? Does it become essentially that the government is conferring benefits on companies for putting forth a particular political viewpoint? And I think that's why you see a push in a lot of states. And obviously we've seen this with Governor DeSantis in Florida and Disney, and also the Tampa Bay Rays for that matter, the threatening of government privileges for companies that put forth a given position. Uh, And then you also see a lot of states, interestingly now, pushing back by saying, look, when it comes to public funds, we're not gonna put our public funds in like our pensions, for example, in financial services companies that say, discriminate against the oil industry, right? Why should we essentially be rewarding institutions that are gonna punish our own constituents, our companies, and really the country, of course, when you're talking about something as important, as critical as the energy sector. So it's one thing for you to be woke. It's another thing for you to be woke with de facto or du jour benefits from the government itself, where you're doing the bidding of the, of the government but in the private sector. And there's a word for the public sector and private sector worth working hand in hand to push their views down your throat. And it's as un-American as it gets as in a system. Mm.
2: Uh, I know we can go to real clear, real, real clear investigations to get all the details on, you know, kind of learn about all of this uh, as well and, and learn how to push back against it. What is the best way to, to fight this? Is it is it just voting? Is it supporting certain organizations? What's the best way to push back?
1: Yeah, so I think one thing is certainly you know, look for, and it's hard, but we try to do it in this database, companies that do hold your values, or at least don't reject your values and pick the other ones, <laughs> uh, and it's an emerging space, so you have to support alternatives. I think ultimately we're gonna have to look at supporting politicians who support legislation, unfortunately, because civil society doesn't appear in a good place to do this itself, but against viewpoint discrimination in the marketplace, Look for state leaders who will not put your funds towards causes that are antithetical to your own. And then I'd also say, when it comes to the journalists and activists in this space, you know, support them. Chris Rufo, for example, has done an exceptional job exposing the takeover of corporations by these anti-racist, so-called woke ideologues who are really putting forth anti-American viewpoints and in indoctrinating their employees and lobbying the government to do the same. So I think it's all of the above. It's political, it's in civil society, and then it's right down in your own community, supporting companies that have values aligned with your own or at least that don't hate your guts.
2: Well, uh, I think I know what you're saying. I know you didn't want to say it, but I think you're saying vote Charlie Crist in Florida.
1: <laughs> right, exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, ben Weigarten, uh, make sure to check out his uh, newest project uh, from Real and Clear Investigations. It's Invisible Hand or Iron Fist, Real Clear Investigations Guide to Politicized Capitalism. You've got to check this out. Head over to uh, my Twitter page at Studez America to find the link. Follow Ben as well. Ben, thanks so much for coming on
1: the program. Thanks for having me, Stu. Always a pleasure.
2: You know, the interview is a really good tie-in to what I'm about to tell you about, which is GRIP 6. GRIP 6 is a company that doesn't hate you. I know it's crazy, right? They're a small company in Utah. They sell across the United States and all over the world as well. People love their stuff. Whether you don't have to, you don't have to be a conservative. You don't have to even like America, I guess, to buy it. But they like America. They have these minimalist belts. They're really cool. You, they're laser etched designs. Uh, you can have logos, flags, all kinds of cool stuff on there. They also have the carbon fiber, so you don't get set off the metal detector at the airport if you're traveling a lot. They also have great socks. They have great wallets. I can't convince you any more than telling you they're a great company. You should you go to their website, grip6.com slash stew. You should check it out. Use the code stew to save 15%. And look at the stuff that they have. It's different. It's cool. You're really going to like it. And you have know, to understand, they're sourcing this stuff in America. And they love this country just like you. Grip the number sixcom slash stew. Grip6.com slash stew. Get 15% off today.
0: I, I think it's a legitimate thing to be concerned about anyone's age, including mine. Agreed. I think it's totally legitimate. Yeah. But I think the best way to make the judgment is to, uh, to you know, watch me.
2: Yeah, that's what people are doing. You know,
0: doing. am I slowing up? Am I... Yes. Don't have the same pace? Right, or, you don't. You know, uh, and that old joke, you know, uh, um, everybody talks about the, you know, the new 70s, 50s, and all that stuff. What? You know, I, uh, you know, it could be, t- I, I'm a great respecter of faith. Are you? I could get a disease tomorrow i could you know drop dead tomorrow i think people should look and say is he he still have the same passion for what he's doing if they think i do and i can do it then that's fine if they don't then they should vote against me not against me should encourage me not to go what but where that's not how i feel Hmm. i can't even say the age i'm gonna be
2: (laughs) what the hell was that (laughs) that okay The problem, Joe, is that people are watching you. That's what this is all based on. Like, we didn't just make it up. We didn't say, oh, I've never seen this person before, but he's 80. He should not be allowed here. No, we've watched you at 80, and we've seen who you are, and that's the problem. The thing you're asking us to do is the reason we're asking the question. And I should say, no, I shouldn't say we're asking the question. We started asking the question a long time ago. Freaking MSNBC is asking the question now. That's how serious this is. And I will say, journalists do this all the time, and they bail them out of these situations. You know the old joke, where
0: the 75 to 50s end of uh, a,
2: And then the journalist just nods, like, oh, yes, of course I understand what joke you're speaking of. Call him out on it. No joke, no one, no- what do you mean, what joke is that? Tell me the joke. What- I would love to know if you know what the joke is. When you begin a sentence... Think beforehand how you're going to end it. It's a basic tip here uh, from your friends here at Stu Does America. Uh, by the way, uh, Biden acting incredibly unconstitutionally with his student loan efforts. They have been blocked finally uh, by a, a court, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, Issued a stay while it uh, considers a motion from the six Republican led states to block the program. So we've talked about many times he did not go to Congress for this. It's blatantly unconstitutional. If I had time, I would show you the clip uh, from one of these dumb liberal conferences this weekend where he said, yeah, we passed. We passed the we passed the student loan relief. by a couple of votes. Well, no, you didn't. You just signed a piece of paper. Are they telling him these are laws? Is that, what, is that what is happening here? Are they coming in like while he's, you know, drinking Ovaltine in the morning and they say, hey, Joe, guess what? New law passed. Yeah, I can't believe it. The Republicans are on board. Just sign. Just sign here. Don't worry about it. No big deal. Uh, by the way, totally unrelated to what we're talking about. Biden's approval rating is plummeting by double digits as one of Biden's. It's a net yet another episode of Biden's newest low. Uh, this is uh, the uh, story from Newsweek says that it was a significant dip in his approval ratings due largely to Democrats and independents. Biden's net approval fell 14 points. Uh, the president ended the week with 45 percent overall. Again, it's kind of har- hard to understand how they're breaking this out. But uh, independents seem to be giving Biden the cold shoulder as well as so his approval re- re- rating fell by 18 percent. Just In the past week, people are are now turning their brains on to election mode. That's what's happening here. Voter interest is at an all-time high in an NBC News poll. We're seeing this in early voting numbers as well, outdoing the presidential election. Totally unheard of. That's not supposed to happen. People are very interested on both sides, I will say. And partially because of yet another poll result, 80% of Americans think the opposing party will destroy the country. And you'd say, that's kind of unhealthy. Like 80% of people think the up, all, the opposing party is going to destroy the country. But I, I, I pose to you this question. What if 40% of them are like, right? What if like 40% are saying the other side's going to destroy the country, but they've sort of nailed it. And then the other half, you know, maybe not. But what if that's the truth? I'm just saying maybe it's not quite as disturbing. We are honestly at this point in the country where... Nobody votes for their own side anymore. We, how much do you hate the other side? That's what wins, wins elections. It's not a great way to run a country, but I guess it'll have to do in this case. Fall is officially here, and with a new season comes a new routine. If you're like me, you get sick of kind of the same old, same old, and that's why I'm very excited to talk to you, I think for the first time, about factor meals. These things are awesome. In fact, I've been a customer of theirs long before they started advertising on this program. They have up to 30 meal choices per week, 36-plus weekly add-ons. You can uh, you can go get the stuff. I, I get the, the vegetarian options, uh, but you can add protein to those as well. The food's just awesome. It's like you created an incredible home-cooked meal, but you don't have to do any of the work. <laughs> you know, some of these things, are they're cool services. They send you a bunch of stuff, and you, you make them up, and they're great, if you really like to cook, they're fantastic for you. But these are ready to eat in two minutes, and they're fantastic. They just did all the work for you. They have great seasonal favorites, like three bean vegan chili, which is very good. I've had that before. They have the uh, apple mustard pork chop, Tuscan tomato chicken, this is great because we don't really like to cook all that much in our house, and our kids have had a lot of chicken nuggets and French toast sticks. So... the. This is an improvement on that. We see we're almost like good parents now. It's incredible. It's cheaper than takeout, and they have great ingredients, and they just it's just a fantastic thing. If you if if you're interested in all at all in like these sort of uh, services, this one's awesome. You're gonna love it. Go.factor75.com/slash America60. If you go there and use the code America60, you'll get 60% off your first box. It's a long web address, but you're getting 60% off. So do it. Uh go.factor75.com slash America60. You'll get 60% off your first box. Check it out now. Go.factor75.com slash America60. The code America60. Well, we have a World Series. Yes, it's going to be the Philadelphia Phillies against, of course, the Houston Astros. Uh, Philadelphia Phillies uh, they went absolutely nuts and you know burned down some of the city they didn't need it all though they didn't need it all a lot of it is awful so burning it down actually is an improvement to much of Philadelphia I've been there Uh, as an Eagles fan a lot of people think I'm a Phillies fan I am not of course I'm a fan of America's team the Toronto Blue Jays Uh, and honestly I literally despise baseball right now after what happened to the Blue Jays in the playoffs I am hurt my soul has been crushed by an 8-1 lead that you let slip away uh, so that one, that one's tough for me. I honestly, the only thing I had left was to watch the Yankees lose. That's all I had. The rest of baseball, honestly, eh, you know, I'm not all that interested in it. But I was very interested in watching the Yankees lose and to see. And people are like, "Wait a minute, the, the Astros cheated." You know, you, you can't root for the Astros. Here's the thing: it's okay to cheat if you're going against the Yankees. I'm fine with it. I am completely. You could cheat all you want. I don't care how many trash cans they, these guys bash their bats against against the Yankees. If it worked and it's got them out in four games, good. Keep doing it. Go, Texas. Uh, there we go. Uh, the Houston Astros. I will say, and I, of course, I don't, uh, I, don't, I don't teach that to my children. It's okay to cheat against the Yankees. I, you're not supposed to cheat ever. That's kind of the rule, of course, unless it's the Cowboys. Then it's completely okay. I mean, God looks at you and says, you know what? It's okay to cheat against the Cowboys. I'm pretty sure. I haven't checked that. It's, it's, I'm, I, Jeremiah Wright told me it was in the Bible somewhere. I just haven't looked for it yet. Uh, so the Yankees uh, out. Astros versus Phillies. I have an affinity for my, for my fellow Eagles fans that are also Phillies fans, especially because the Toronto Blue Jays gave them one of the worst moments in their franchise history. I feel a little bad for that. So, you know, it would be nice to see the Phillies win one here. We will see. Phillies, Astros. And I guess, are we able to – can we look at them now? Are They're they not going to tell us how, you know, we're, uh, we're not woke enough when we're watching the games. Is, are we past that period yet? Oh, I hope so. Back in a second. One week till Halloween, four months since 624 22 That's right. It's the four-month anniversary, yes, of a very important day. They're trying to build up uh, abortion into this real negative issue for Republicans. I don't know. Um, as a conservative, I'm pretty proud of that day. And you may be as well. You can go to studosmerch.com, get the uh, stuff right there. Use the code STU10 to save 10%.